0: I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, March 12th, we're studying Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Yet again, Jesus' opponents come at him with a question. This time, it's the Sadducees. The Lord once again escapes any plot of theirs, and he beautifully teaches the truth from God's word concerning the resurrection. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks for having me back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk context. Where are we in Mark's gospel? What do we need to know going into these verses from Mark chapter 12?
1: So Jesus has just ridden in to Jerusalem on the, on the donkey uh, with his triumphal entry, and he's right in the middle of, of various arguments, uh, mainly with the Pharisees. Uh, he, he has, uh, just finished a, a test that they, they put him through where they asked him whether it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. And they're always trying to catch him, uh, in, uh, in his words. And of course, you know, we know the story where Jesus asks, uh, for, uh, the, the Denarius, uh, you know, a coin and, and ask whose image is on there and it's Caesar's image. So he says, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. And so they, uh, you know, they're not able to, to kind of accomplish that, that testing or that tripping that they're trying to do with Jesus. And so now, you know, as, as, as Jesus approaches his passion, you know, here uh, uh, during Holy week, um, and this is who knows what which exact day. Maybe it was Monday or so. Um, he then all of a sudden comes across the Sadducees. And they want to have a piece of him too, and they want to test him um, with uh, with some hard questions. Um, and of course, this is going to culminate at the end. Uh, uh, the end where Jesus talks about uh, the Son of David uh, being the Christ. And, and showing that he is, he is the Lord as well. So, so we're kind of right in the middle of that, of, of those, those uh, fierce debates that Jesus is having with the religious scholars. And our text for today focuses in on uh, his, his debate with the Sadducees.
0: It, it, so we're in this section where one group after another is is coming at Jesus, trying to catch him some way, somehow, and and as you said, it is leading up to that climax of that that thought. You know, the David's son, David's Lord, and and very clearly, Jesus is is revealing. You know, he is the Christ. I, I think even in this text, you see Jesus. He speaks a lot more. Clearly, not that he was unclear before, but you know he's he's had that parable, the the render to to Caesar and to render to God is a, a very a proverbial way of speaking, but but here you know I mean he just starts laying it all on the line, very very clearly, just outright. You know, he's gonna. We're gonna hear him say, "You're you're wrong to the Sadducees." I mean, he's just it, almost like yeah. I've been trying to to picture this in my mind, and I, the the image that I I thought of recently when it comes to this part of Mark's Gospels, you know, it's almost like Jesus is playing whack-a-mole with these various groups, or you know, and one group pops up and he he hits them, and then another group pops up and he whacks them too. And I mean, but over and over again, the Lord, and and I've, we've made this point a couple times. I think this is important. It's it's not just that the Lord is you know, maybe annoyed by these groups or, you know, he's, he's evading their trap cause he's really cool, but he's actually teaching the truth. He's giving the word of God to his enemies and, and then more, and also to us through the written word that we have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. He's not just, he, he, he's not just showing how much better at arguing he is. Although that's certainly true. Right. Uh, he is much better than they, they think they're so clever and, and uh, Jesus, in his humility, is much, uh, much more clever than they are. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's more about what he has to teach. And, you know, Jesus is constantly submitting to the scriptures. It's just it's remarkable how he's always quoting scripture. And here we have the author of scripture, you know, the son whose who's spirit, uh, who proceeds from him uh, from eternity, uh, has inspired the scriptures. And, uh, you know, he's the one who actually is the law giver and yet submits to the law. And he is the one who has given the scriptures and given the promises. And now here he is fulfilling them by, by, uh, by, by submitting again to, to the word of God, to the scriptures. And so Jesus shows great honor and devotion to the Word of God. And that's, this is something that is always good to point out, especially when you run across these modern biblical scholars who are kind of your modern-day Sadducees um, in ways, uh, who who will try to say that, that, uh, that the, the Scriptures are not the Word of God and that the Scriptures were never meant to be seen as the Word of God and a great thing to point out is to say hey well how does jesus treat the bible you know how does he treat the scriptures and boy it, it you know it really sounds like jesus believed that you know Jonah was a real he, uh, was a real story you know and, and that the scriptures are are actually true and accurate history um they and 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 he he really hinges his entire mission upon that
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really going to come through in today's text, just in the way that Jesus will quote from, you know, it's Exodus chapter three, but the way that he talks about, you know, haven't you read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush? I mean, that's the, you can see how highly he regards the scriptures just in the way that he quotes them. So let's go ahead and read the text. We're in Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 18. And Sadducees came to him, to Jesus, who say there is no resurrection. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. That's the text for today, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Pastor Preuss, this is actually the first time in Mark's gospel, and I think it's the only time that we meet the Sadducees by name. You said we've had Pharisees coming at Jesus. The Herodians were there with him in the previous text. Who are the Sadducees? What do we know about them? What are some of their distinctives as a group at this time?
1: Yeah, so the Sadducees would be those who would hold high political offices uh, political ranks uh, among the Jews, um, but the, the and and the Sadducees are often among the priests, if I'm not mistaken, mm. um, and uh, they were interested in the life of the temple, um, and uh, and 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 one of the the things that stuck out about them, which which was part of why they were actually rivals of the Pharisees, was that the Sadducees denied. That there was a resurrection, and from what I from what I've read about them, um, it, it sounds like they even denied that there was any kind of afterlife. Um, and so they were very they are very secular, really, in the way that they, and they were very worldly, I should say, uh, in the way that they thought. And so they they also did not accept any of the any of the books of the Old Testament except for the first five books. And that's the, what's known as the, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, um, or sometimes we might refer to it as the Torah. Uh, so they, they only accept those books. And, you know, and that kind of, that was sort of, that sort of went along with their denial of the resurrection, because you don't really have as, as explicit of statements in the books of Moses teaching the resurrection of the dead as you would in, you know, you know, passages like Job 19, uh, what is it, 25 to 26, or like Daniel 12, uh, or the other prophets, or like Psalm uh, 16, you know, where it talks about uh, the Holy One uh, not not seeing decay. Um, so, you know, so they're, they're dealing with, they're dealing with a, with a religious system that only accepts, you know, the first five books of the Bible as scripture and they, and, and, and then they're rejecting the resurrection of the body. Um, and so, you know, it would you and, and you would this is what's remarkable about how Jesus argues with them because any other person who knows the scriptures, is going to know that uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of difficult to just use the books of Moses to prove them wrong, because you know it would be really nice if we could just use Job, who says, you know, while I, while I my flesh is this, after my flesh is destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. You know, I mean, very clearly teaches the resurrection of the dead, um, and Daniel chapter twelve very clearly teaches the resurrection of all flesh and that some rise to everlasting life and some rise to everlasting condemnation. And, uh, you know, you would think, well, if only we could just use that or use the Psalms. Um, and, uh, but Jesus teaches us something about the scriptures and about the power of the scriptures, the power of God, um, revealed in the scriptures and really exposes the way that the Sadducees think about God's word. Um, it's not just that they don't accept all the other books of the Bible. I mean, that's bad enough. But even the way that they treat the text that they claim to accept, even the way that they treat the, the, the books of Moses, uh, Jesus reveals and really exposes their legalism and real hypocrisy. Um, that they, they that they can't really recognize uh, the the scriptures that they that they claim to
0: champion. So, these Sadducees who, and, and Mark says this, you know, they say there is no resurrection. They only accept the first five books of the Old Testament, the five books of Moses, as the scriptures. They come to Jesus with a question. They lay out this scenario, and they they bring up Moses, in fact. They say, hey, look, this is what Moses wrote, Jesus. And and they bring up this, this practice, I think it's usually called Leviticus it there, there's the word leverett marriage which to our ears sounds a bit foreign what's what's the background of this situation that they're going to pose to Jesus
1: yeah so they're they're referring to Deuteronomy 25 uh, where Moses is talking about you know what what should happen when a brother dies, and he doesn't have any children, you know, so a brother or a brother dies. A brother is married and then he dies and his wife is his widow is still alive, but they couldn't have any children. And there was uh, there's this this commandment, this stipulation in the law of Moses that that the uh, that in order to continue that brother's name, uh, which would include, you know, continuing his, his inheritance, his, uh, you know, his, his, his house. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to do with the security of, um, of his wife. Uh, this is where we have the, the idea of, of redemption. You know, it's, it's related to the idea of redeeming someone's house. And that, you know, this obviously comes up in, in the story of Ruth and Boaz, Mm -hmm um but uh, but in order to to continue his you know his brother's name he could marry his brother's widow and have children with her um but it would be in his brother's name uh so you know that's the that that again it has something to do with the it's related to the idea of redeeming um and uh, redeeming someone else's house and if you look at you know it's obviously it's optional like you don't have to marry your brother's widow if she didn't have any children if they if they didn't have any children um, but Moses adds this part to it where he says if 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 he refuses to do it then she should go to the elders of the city and uh, you know take him before the elders of the city and if he still refuses to do it then she should take his sandal. Spit in his face, is it? Like, take his sandal off and spit in his face and say, you know, and 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 just, you know, re- basically rebuke him for not wanting to continue his brother's name. And then that's it. Like, that's all it says. So, you know, there's a, you know, there's sort of a shame aspect attached to it. Um, you know, there's a, it's obviously a good thing to continue your brother's name. Uh, and uh and yet the law itself is uh, you know it's it's really an optional thing so so it seems like moses is really trying to he's he's trying to address a specific situation and especially i think specific we might say social expectation um that had to do with you know security and and uh you know security of the home and, and and the inheritance and stuff like that but but again this is um, this is really a time where we could talk about you know the difference between a popular law and uh, or civil law and God's moral law so is that something that we could that we could talk about right now.
0: Yeah, let's let's dig into that a little bit. So the difference between the the moral law and the civil or popular law, as you said, what what are those two things? What's the difference, and why does that matter?
1: Yeah. So the, the moral law is, you know, summarized in the Ten Commandments, or summarized really in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourselves. Uh, and and you know, the moral law is going to reflect God's creation. It's going to, it's meant to guard God's creation. The popular law is going to be the application of the moral law. And the moral law is something that we know by nature to an extent. And, uh, and so any popular law is, is there simply to, to try to, to try to apply the moral law in the best possible way. But the thing is with the popular law is that, the, the popular law or the civil law simply has to take into consideration the limitations of the, of the people who are there. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, if you go, if you know, you, you and I teach catechism class, right. Um, you know, if you go into your, to, you, you get these kids and they, they don't know, they don't know their scriptures as well as maybe previous generations. They don't know their Bible history. And so, you know, we would maybe try to start a little bit softer with them, uh, with our, uh, with our exams and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and that's what you, we just kind of meet them where, where they are. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what popular law does. And sometimes it's just the popular law just simply has to be pragmatic so one example of this, and 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 the proof that there is that the Bible does teach this distinction, is in Matthew 19 when Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees about um, about marriage and divorce, and they say, "Well, Moses allowed divorce," and Jesus says, "Well, it wasn't like that from the beginning. So the moral law is that which goes to the beginning, that's actually God's will, His 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 immutable will." Um, but, uh, but Jesus said, went on to say that, no, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your heart. Right. So, you know, it would be morally good to put fornicators to death, right? That's what the law of Moses allowed. That's what God commanded. Right. Um, who are we to say that that would be wrong to, to put, fornicators to death or to put other perverts and stuff like that and punish them. Now, can we realistically do that mm. <laughs> right now? No. Um, cause we have to put a lot of people to death and I don't think that we're really prepared to do that. Uh, and, and so that, that just simply shows the limitation of the popular law and it shows the limitation really of the law as it is carried out by us. You know, I mean, the, the, the law, as, as Romans 8 says, the law weakened, the law is weakened by the flesh, but God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He sent the Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin in the flesh so that the righteousness that's actually required in the law would, 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 would indeed be fulfilled in us, not because we're, we're, we're relying on our keeping of the law, our application of the law, but because we're walking by the spirit and not by the flesh, right? So, so this is really what, what, what's revealing here about the Sadducees is they're, they're, they're just like the Pharisees in this, in this manner. They're legalistic. They look at the scriptures as simply a bunch of positive law rules. Um, You know, just a list of rules and, 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 you know, to-do list. And with the understanding that somehow they're going to, they're going to be able to fix it. I mean, this is some, this is one of the biggest problems with uh, really with with today's uh, left, as you you might call them, um, the leftists today. They think that social and moral issues can only be solved politically. You know, that that's, that that's, or that they primarily should be solved um, politically. Um, And so, but, but that, but that's false. Uh, you know, if, if there are, if there's abuse in the home, right. Uh, the, the solution to that is uh, sure, you know, there, there, you would need to punish people, um, who are, who are overstepping their bounds. Um, but really the solution to that is not to, you know, uh, dismantle the entire, uh, system of, uh, of the home. Uh, and uh, and treat it as just this, uh, you know, and, and then and then kind of switch the power over to like the state or something like that, and then just make a bunch of rules and somehow that's going to solve everyone's problem. No, there needs to be a change of heart, and there needs to be uh, there there needs to be a fatherly, um, you know, and, and and domestic kind of rule. Um, but anyway, I'm getting a little bit off track with all that stuff. Um, the, the The point here is that they they're thinking politically mm-hmm. rather than according to the law of love. Mm-hmm. Um, they look at everything as just a bunch of rules. And Jesus is showing them that this is that this is precisely why they don't understand the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't under, and they don't understand the power of God
0: mm-hmm. I think the the point that you made about how, the Sadducees end up doing the exact same thing with the Pharisees as the Pharisees do in terms of picking out this popular law. I think that's a, a really important point. That you know the the Pharisees, and this was in Mark ten as well as in Matthew chapter nineteen. It, there in Mark ten, you know they they pull out this text from from Deuteronomy twenty four about Moses allowing divorce and and Jesus says well, you're looking at the wrong text. You <laughs> you you should be looking back in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 where God actually established marriage, not at that popular law concerning divorce and what Moses allowed due to hardness of heart. Here you've got the Sadducees really playing the same game, only they're playing the game with the resurrection instead of marriage. And 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 this is maybe the I think maybe the connection between this rather absurd sounding scenario and the resurrection. When, when the Sadducees look at the books of Moses, perhaps it seems that lever marriage is as close In their minds, as they can get to the resurrection, because in in the idea of leveret marriage is, as you were saying, you know, that that the man's name, his inheritance, those things last on beyond him. Well, (laughs) as they're looking at the books of Moses, they don't see the resurrection leveret marriage looks maybe close in 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 thought that something lasts beyond him dying. But when they when they try to put that together with the idea of a resurrection, I mean, it's just absurd to think about one woman, seven men in the resurrection, and they're like, Jesus, this can't be true. Look what Moses wrote here. Uh, but the the whole thing, and this is where Jesus is gonna go, it's like you you guys are, you just don't get it. You're reading the wrong text. Uh, but I, I mean, I think that's maybe how things go together, such that the Pharisees end up making this, you know, this mockery of, of resurrection. We got just a couple minutes here before the break to to respond, Pastor Price.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. That's such a good point. I, I hadn't quite thought of it like that, you know, that, that they're looking at this Leveret marriage, this continuing of the brother's name as the closest thing that you're going to get to the resurrection. And that reminds me of um, the research that I that I did on uh, uh, reading the uh, these Lutheran, old Lutheran dogmaticians on the cross and, uh, in the life of the Christian and their, and the comfort of the cross. And one of the things that things that they all talk about is this, uh, this difference between how the world comforts and how the gospel comforts or how philosophy comforts and how the gospel comforts. And, um, one of the things that they, that, you know, they, they would point, they would bring up like different, what different philosophers have said to comfort people who are suffering or who are mourning or, or or what have you. And one of the things that they brought up was, uh, was Cicero, uh, would say, would talk about, uh, and it's in his book on friendship, I believe, uh, where he, he talks about how the, the, you know, a comfort that you can have when your friend dies and his friend, I can't remember his friend's name, but his friend had died of a stroke. And he talks about how he continues to live on, you know, in my memory, right. And uh, and so there's that legacy that we want to continue to kind of um, propagate. And that's the closest thing that natural man is possibly able to get to resurrection. But the gospel promises us something much greater than that. And we should not um, put our hope in earthly things, but uh, set our set our hearts and minds on things above.
0: And, and that's where Jesus is going to point the Sadducees and us as he continues. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO, looking at Mark 12 with Pastor Andrew Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, March 12th. We're studying Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Pastor Andrew Preuss is our guest. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were talking about the Sadducees and this rather absurd-sounding situation that they put in front of Jesus. That's the best thing that they can find in the books of Moses concerning the resurrection of the dead. They just aren't buying it. The resurrection can't be real. And Jesus responds rather, rather abruptly, rather harshly, strongly. He says, isn't this the reason you're wrong? I mean, no, no doubt here. What Jesus say, you guys are wrong. And the reason is because they don't know the scriptures, Jesus says, and they don't know the power of God. Uh, What's he saying? How are those two things related? Not knowing the scriptures and the power of God.
1: Yeah. So they, he seems to be speaking of them sort of as the same thing. He's certainly using them in the same breath. Um, I don't, you know, I think in a way we can equate the scriptures with the power of God. Obviously, because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are God's word. But there's something, you know, to try to maybe get to what the nuance would be. Um, the scriptures, you know, that they don't understand the scriptures is that mainly they don't know how to read the scriptures. They don't know what really to look for in the scriptures. Um, they look at the scriptures, like I said before, like a rule book rather than the wisdom of God. You know, um, you know, we were, we were talking, uh, we were talking before, um, about, about the Proverbs, um, and how, you know, we don't preach uh, on the Proverbs quite as much, but, uh, you know, one of the things about the Proverbs that's so remarkable is that you do have a lot of what we might call law statements, right? Uh, admonitions, advice for everyday living and, and then mingled in through it all are, are promises of God's grace and mercy. Um, very beautiful passages of the of the of Christ, the wisdom of God, begotten of, of God from eternity. Uh, and and so all of this then is is God's wisdom. You know, the, the scriptures then are, are God's wisdom. And they're they're not they're not just data for us to kind of increase our portfolio or or pedigree of academia, or whatever, um, they're the wisdom of God, and the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. Um, and so, so they're so they don't tremble before the scriptures, right? They're they're, they're just looking at the scriptures as as they're just kind of manual, um, uh, rather than rather than again the wisdom of God that's going to that's going to make their path straight and guide them and save them and give them eternal life which is another thing they deny. And that gets them to, you know, how did this, how did the Sadducees not understand the power of God? Well, this, this goes hand in hand with their misunderstanding of how to read the scriptures because they read the scriptures as a mere rule book. It follows that they cannot recognize the power that's revealed within them. Right. So the power of God is the power to kill and make alive. Um, he is the living God. Right. So, so the, the, part of the problem that you see here with the Sadducees and something that you see today as well. And this is a problem that just exists within our sinful flesh, uh, is that people, they, they read the Bible as a manual for life. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and and, and as far as God goes, it's more kind of that there is a God, um, and they might, you know, think of some of the things that he has said or done, but what they 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 don't really what they what they don't really consider is who is god right what kind of god is he right so i mean like your wife is not just a wife right she's your wife i don't remember your wife's name but she is you know what's your wife's name kristen Kristen, your wife is Kristen, right? You know her and you know her by what she's done, by what she has said, by what she has promised, um, by her convictions, this and that, right? It's the same thing with, you know, my, I know my wife. Um, she's not just, you know, I know she's Leah. She's not, she's not just a wife. Right. And, and (laughs) it's not just a bunch of, um, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's not, it's not just a matter of a bunch of rules for for living um that's not or we don't have this like professional relationship right <laughs> it is it, it is a, a true marriage right a true union and that's what god wants with us he wants to give us eternal life he is the god of the living not of the dead not of some dead rituals and rules um he's not he's not some cold dumb deaf blind you know idol made with hands Um, and this is the irony is that they have treated the scriptures as that, which is just made with hands. Um, and, um, and they, and they, they miss the power that is within it. And so, you know, again, the Bible tells us who God is. It tells us what kind of God he is. It tells us about his character, right? That he's the, the, so we don't need to go and, and find a particular proof passage that satisfies our, uh, you know, our, our intellect and our reason, um, enough for us to be able to accept it. Um, but no, just consider how the scriptures, how even just the first five books of of the Bible, consider how they reveal who God is and what kind of God he is. And that alone should tell you, uh, that there's a resurrection.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, just the, the whole, when, when the Lord says, in the books of Moses, I think, and and throughout the Old Testament, you know that that he he says, "I will be your God, and you will be my people." I mean, it seems like a very simple mm-hmm. thing for him to say, and yet I think with, just within those words, it gets what you're you're saying that. I mean and even just the way that this show opens right the the word of god is living and active it's because he is the living mm-hmm. god his word is actually living and active and when we when we come to the bible it gives us who god is it, it gives us what he's done and it like it's actually he is actually active at that moment doing that work when when we when we read the scriptures he is active encountering us and and to Kind of put it at arm's length. I mean, that's that's where the Sadducees are. I'm the way where you're talking earlier. I was reminded of I think it's in Zephaniah of of all places, Zephaniah chapter one, where where the prophet Zephaniah speaks out against those who are saying in their hearts, the Lord's not going to do ill, but he's not going to do good. You know, he's just sort of like, Mm -hmm. you know, he's just kind of there. And, And there's there's not that. You know, he is my God, who who cares how I live, who's going to to you know, convict me of my sin, but then raise me to, it's just sort of like, eh, he's, he's kind of there and ah, no big deal. I mean, it's just a yeah, very yeah. hands-off approach from God. And it, that, but maybe the, how does the, the angel to the, I can't forget, remember which church it is in the book of Revelation who says, you know, you're lukewarm is the way Jesus speaks to sure, that church. Yeah, Kind of is, it seems what's going on There's with the Laodicea Sadducees. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I yeah. think that's right.
1: I Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you know, it's funny you bring up Zephaniah, um, Zephaniah and Joel are the two prophets who I think are most similar, or they're very similar. I mean, there are you know, other prophets who are similar as well uh, with, with one another, like Micah and Isaiah and Hosea. But, um, but Joel and Zephaniah, are uh, uh, they're both dealing with a very similar situation. Joel is dealing with Joe Ash, um, the, uh, the boy king. Who was uh, kind of rescued and raised by Jehoiada the priest, and uh, his grandmother was Athaliah, the evil lady, uh, daughter of Jezebel. Anyway, um, Zephaniah is writing. I believe, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, he's writing during the time of of um, Josiah, and uh, Josiah is making reforms. Right, Joash is making reforms in the temple. Um, and they're both dealing with, uh, with, with the, you know, with, with a, a, a kind of a post apostate, uh, uh, culture, right. Or the, the, there's a culture that is sort of coming out of apostasy and they're saying, and they're both saying similar things where they're saying, Hey, uh, this is not about just, you know, it's a, to rend your hearts and not your garments. It's not just about rending your garments. It's not just about the outward thing. It's not just about the rituals, Right. And this is how, you know, God is often seen then when we forget that he's the living God is that it's really just about going through the motions and going through, the you know, the liturgy becomes just kind of line upon line, precept upon precept here, a little there, a little, as Isaiah says, um, you know, and it's and, and God really, you know, becomes dead. Right. God God is dead to us then when we treat him that way. We treat his word that way. And, uh, and again, it's religion is just kind of habits that, you know, stick with us because they're hard to break, but, um, you know, don't really go to the heart. Mm. So, you know, so don't think that you're, that, that you're safe just because you kind of, uh, um, you know, got rid of this, uh, this, uh, uh, bad practice, you know, the, you're, uh, you, you need to repent, Right. You need you need your heart to be turned. And that's what that's really how Jesus is is addressing the Sadducees here. Right. He's not going to get into um, bunny trail discussion with them. Um, He's going to bring them right back to the power of God, the living God.
0: Right. I mean, and that's it, uh, where he goes in verses 26 and 27, and he, he brings up the passage about the bush and, and Moses speaking to God and how God identifies himself. That's the real point. He, he And he's not going to go down a, a rabbit trail, but he does, you know, I mean, he doesn't completely neglect the matter of marriage that at least was was brought up, even if it yeah. was more of a side issue. He doesn't completely neglect it. In verse 25, he, he talks about when they rise from the dead knows when they rise he says they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven before we, and I want to save what Jesus has at the end for kind of the, I mean, that's the point, but what, what is this, what is this teaching that he says about marriage and the resurrection and being like angels? What, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't mean that we just become angels because that would actually be the opposite of what Jesus is saying. And the totally defeat (laughs) the whole purpose of his argument. He's arguing for the resurrection of the body, Right, um, and unfortunately, we have these really dumb ideas that are very prevalent uh, uh, among our in our culture, where if someone dies, and then you know you know heaven gained another angel. I mean, anyone who takes comfort in that is just woefully misled. It's just a terrible thing to take comfort in. We should take comfort in Christ. You know, people always want to talk about all their their, their material things and their relationships with their family, which, you know, those are great, you know? And, uh, uh but, but what really matters is, is her relationship with God is, what is it? Psalm 71 is it? or 73? or It's one of the 71s. Um, who have I in heaven, but you, right. Uh, and, and, and who, and who, who do I desire on earth, but you, um, but, but anyway, so no, we're not, we don't become angels, but we're like angels in this sense that we don't die. We're not. We're not given it, but two things. We're not given in marriage, right? And that we don't die. And that's the thing with Moses's, uh, Moses's instructions here in Deuteronomy 25 are dealing with marriage and with death, right? His his regulations would not be needed if it weren't for death. And so, so again, the point here is that you know, we will be, we'll be sons of, I and mean, this is what Luke says. Luke puts it this way. He says that um, that we will be uh, sons of, Or G, you know, he records Jesus saying this, uh, that that, that we'll be sons of the resurrection, right? Equal to the angels in this respect, um, that we will be sons of God and sons of the resurrection. And angels are, are called sons of God, uh, elsewhere in Scripture, and specifically in Job chapter one, um, and and so so that's what we will, will have in common with them that we will actually be able to bask in the glory of God, and yet we ourselves will be the sons of the resurrection, um, and uh, and that, so we won't need marriage, right? Marriage is, is 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 something that God uses to bring about earthly sons, which is His great blessing, heritage from the Lord, Psalm one twenty seven. Um, but, uh, but here the point is that we will not die again. Um, we will, we will have eternal life.
0: Right. So not again, just to reiterate, not that we will become angels, but be like angels in the sense that we will not die. And in the sense that we will not marry or be given in marriage, because it's a, it's a, just a different, I, I think w- one of the the problems with the Sadducees among many, it seems is that they're, they're equating what happens in this life with the way that they, they conceive of the resurrection and and because they're equating those two things they just they're missing everything again they they don't know the scriptures they don't know the power of god and jesus wants to you know disassociate those two things there are things in this life but the resurrection this is eternal life there there is no death and so something like lever at marriage just it just doesn't even make sense in the resurrection and and the sadducees don't don't see that
1: yeah that's right.
0: That's right. So Jesus then, he, he gets to the main point, though. I mean, verse 26, as for the dead being raised, this this whole matter of you guys deny the resurrection, let's talk about that. As you said at the very beginning, the Sadducees only accept the five books of Moses' as scripture. So Jesus is going to show them from those five books of Moses that, in fact, the resurrection of the dead is taught there. And, and he goes to as he says the passage about the bush this is in exodus chapter 3 as, as we have it and, and he quotes from the lord and the lord says i am the god of abraham and the god of isaac and the god of jacob jesus concludes from the that text he's not the god of the dead but of the living you are quite wrong now i mean yeah. tell what what is jesus doing cuz i mean you know you you and i we were talking you were talking about this earlier if if someone asked you or me show me the resurrection in the old testament we're probably going to go to Job nineteen, Isaiah twenty-five, Daniel twelve, some of those other texts that you mentioned. Jesus goes to Exodus three. How's he? How's he doing this? What's the case he's making?
1: Yeah, he's going right to the heart of it, and this is very typical—a um, very common way of uh, of how Jesus reacts. I mean, let's go back to Matthew nineteen when he's talking about marriage with the um, marriage and divorce with the. The Pharisees. What does he do? He goes, he goes back to creation. He goes back to what God did at the beginning. So here again, he's not—he's not, he's not going to go to uh, a proof passage, right? Um, somewhere else. Um, so while he would certainly be free to do that, um, but he's going to go—he's going to go to the heart of who God is. Um, and 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 God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that what does that mean? What does it mean for Him to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's that He has given a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to ple- to bless them, and that's and and, and and even through them to bless all nations. And 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 that He still calls Himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, as He's speaking to Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead. Um, And yet he's still their God. So how can that be? You know, and this is something that, you know, it's easy to gloss over and you might just assume like, well, you know, it's just sort of like, this is the land of George Washington, even though he doesn't live here anymore, you know, because he used to live here, you know, that kind of sort of this sort of memorial way of looking at it. And Jesus is like, no, no, that's not, that's, that's not what it says. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Um, And, uh, you know, so besides the fact that he is, he's going to kind of play on their field, you know, so to speak, he's going to say, all right, you don't, you don't accept the other books. Well, okay, we will, let's just go to the books that you accept and then I'll show you even from them. Um, so there's that, you know, and that just shows how masterful of a scholar, biblical scholar, our Lord is, but what shows that he is, uh, he really has the key to understanding the scriptures, uh, is, is how he, how he goes about showing that, you know, he, he's concerned with who God is. Right. And so he's not just, he's not just concerned with, you know, just like, so like with the whole divorce thing, he could have said to the Pharisees, you know, Malachi, God says in Malachi that God hates divorce. Right. He could have given, there's a very powerful, you know, thus, thus says the Lord, you know, uh, text, and proof passage, but instead he goes back to the beginning. So then so so similarly here, he's going to the very heart of who God is, which goes which which really reflects God's promises to his servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that shows then that he is our God too. So like you said before, I will be your God and you will be my people, right? That's his promise to the people of Israel. And that shows what kind of God he is. that you know, and what and, and what kind of people they are, right? So so God is the living God. He's the eternal God. So if he's your God, then that means that you will live, right? And this is, this is just elaborated more and more in the scriptures. And really what Jesus does is he fulfills it, and then it becomes elaborated even more. So like in our baptism, we are baptized into Christ so that we have what he has. Just as he lives, we will live. Even as he died, so we will die, but we will die in him. Um, and die to this world and to so that we may be alive to God through Christ.
0: I mean this is this is one of those texts where as I as I reflect on it, you know, like, it's not what I would have thought to use as as the text to show that that this is this is the resurrection right here. And again, as you said Jesus isn't proof texting. This is this is much bigger than that. He's he's showing who God is at his very heart and that's what the scriptures are revealing to us. But once you once you see what Jesus does here, it really does open up the whole scriptures to see this. I mean, so that even you know, this is quoted again from Exodus 3. But just go back to what when the Lord actually speaks to Abraham and when he speaks to Isaac and to Jacob and he says those promises, inherent in those promises is resurrection. Because, I mean, again, because that's who God is. He is the God of the living. And so exactly. when, when he says, I'm going to be your God, like that is a, that is a promise of resurrection at that moment. And, and you, I mean, that's what you were talking about. You just talked about baptism. That's where my mind was going too. when, when God comes and says, you belong to me, if he puts his name on you in the water and the word of holy baptism. There's the promise of resurrection. And again, you know, Paul makes that explicit in Romans six, he draws that out, but just in those words, I baptize you in the name of the father, son, Holy spirit, that's resurrection right there because you're connected to the living God and you, I mean, when you start seeing this, you really do start seeing it all over the old Testament and new Testament alike. You, you can't help, but see how God's character as the living God. I mean, the resurrections it's, it's all over the place, certainly in those very explicit passages, but, but it's in other passages as well. And, and, you know, Exodus three is just one of many.
1: Yeah. That's right. And, you know, and I'm all for proof pass, proof passaging, um, proof texting. It, it's necessary. We have to do it right. You know, where is this written? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, go make the of all nations. Right. Um, you know, we do it all the time and we need to do it. And someone who, someone who, uh, you know, puts down proof passaging is probably either like a, some sort of mystic or he's like a first year seminarian who heard, um, you know, who heard one of his professors go on a rant about, you know, about a cold dead Orthodox proof. Uh, I, I was passing. a first
0: year seminarian uh, once upon yeah. a time.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So Jesus is, um, but Jesus is doing something more than just proof passage. he's opening the scriptures up. Uh, he's, he's really opening up the scriptures to who God is, uh, what kind of, you know, like what, the, and, 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 and if it's, if we know who God is, we're, we're really talking about what his, what his promises are like. Like you said, really intrinsic within the promise is the resurrection. Uh, and and another, another place that you can think of then is, you know, Abraham, who's told to sacrifice his son Isaac, mm-hmm. and he goes and he does it. You know, he willingly goes up to Mount Moriah to do it, and he's going to do it. He's about to kill him. And how does he have that confidence to be able to do that? Um, when this is, this is actually the very, you know, substance of God's promise that through his seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And now he's telling them to kill his own seed. Um, of course he believes in the resurrection, you know, (laughs) otherwise, why would he do it? You know, there's, there's, there's just, it's, this is how the, the scriptures teach us in very concrete ways, uh, God's promises, and uh, you know, it's, it's it's sort of like when people ask, "Well, where where is polygamy condemned?" Like, well, look at what happens to everyone who has more than one wife. No, it doesn't end. It doesn't ever end well, you know. So we should learn to read the scriptures and learn from their example. Learn from what they have to teach us, without necessarily explicitly telling us. You know, here's the right teacher's aid answer. You know. Yeah. And that's, again that's not to put down proof passages those are necessary we call them seats of doctrine right those things are very the god gives those things to us because he cares about us and he wants us to know his word mm-hmm.
0: right for sure i mean we we want to see like i mean where is where is this instituted for i mean with with baptism and with the lord's supper right the the words of jesus that institute those things we should hold on to very highly as a as a proof text for what they actually are all the while also seeing how that that true teaching of who God is simply pervades the whole of the scriptures and and gives us that full picture again of, of the God of the living, the one who promises resurrection to his people. Pastor person, you got about two minutes here. Help us wrap things up, point us to the good news from this text in Mark 12.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a very simple message of good news that uh, God is the God of the living and not the dead. And he, and so if he is your God, uh, if you if if you have his promise in your baptism in in the gospel, then you can know that though you die yet you shall live, mm. and he will raise you up on the last day for the sake of his son who died and rose for you so that's a it's a wonderful message, very simple message it's a message that that really helps you sleep at night um and it should because it's the good news. Mm.
0: That, yeah, that is that's the fantastic good news. You live in Christ. He is the God of the living, not of the good dead, and you belong to him. Pastor Andrew Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, helping us this morning with Mark 12, verses 18 through 27. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Mark chapter 12 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.